The great train debate, Ohio's shrinking Democrats, and Worthington jumps on the income tax hike bandwagon. These topics are more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at CoSide, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, William Hershey, Statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Joe Ingalls, Statehouse reporter for Ohio Public Radio. Bob Clegg, Republican strategist. And Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. If you thought the debate over 3C passenger rail ended when the federal government gave Ohio a half million dollars, you were wrong. In the past week or so, opponents of the project have gotten louder, saying it's too expensive, too slow, and won't work. Governor Strickland this week labeled them cheerleaders for failure. Bill Hershey, what are the chances the state's going to give that money back? Very little. When Governor Strickland says frankly, candidly, or addresses someone as my brother, you know that the psychologist, minister, man of peace is not feeling peaceful. He said uh, Ohio got $400 million. If Ohio hadn't gotten this money, Michigan would have gotten it or some other state, and they would love to have it. The rub is that Ohio will have to come up with an estimated $17 million a year to subsidize this system. And the governor may run into some trouble if he's still the governor when we get to that point. But the chances of sending that money back are uh, about as likely as Governor Strickland voting for John Kasich for governor this year. Will John Kasich send it back, Bob, do you think? Uh, I, you know what? If, if they take the money, uh, it's going to be already taken and it's going to be already in the Treasury and it's going to be hard to, to take $400 million out. Yeah. I think this is, once again, what Governor Strickland always does. He always takes his federal money, like he did the $6 billion earlier. And then you end up with a worse problem down the road. And as Bill was saying, the seven, they're thinking it might be $17 million. I think it's going to be more than $17 million a year that's going to uh, be used to subsidize it. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to create these uh, transportation railroad government jobs, and then we're going to have to fund them because the, what's going to happen is you're not going to get enough riders, they're not going to get enough revenue, and they're going to say, well, what are we going to do? We're going to lose jobs if we don't, you know, you know, spend this state money to save them. So in the end, we're going to spend more money than... I, I wish we'd take the politics out of it. I get tired of uh, either end of the poll on the perspective of which um, ideology makes sense. We need trains in Ohio. The price of gas invariably is going to go up. We need transportation modes other than concrete and cars to get places to and from. It may be a little slow to start with. I, I may buy that. Um, but we, we, I mean, what, what, what happened to what is in the best interest of the country, best interest of the state, progressing the, the nation and, and filling holes that need to be filled? It just amazes me. And one of, the things, one of the things we're seeing right now is they're focusing on the three C's itself, that line. But what, what can happen in the future and what's likely to happen in the future are local transportation centers are likely to develop new lines or new routes somehow to able to uh, capture audiences in those three C's and use it for commuter purposes, for example, or uh, maybe someday use it for a, a higher speed rail or something like that. I think that uh, Sam's right. We need rail in this country, but we need to eat carrots 
and spinach and apples. It's good for us. Ohioans don't have to ride trains now. It's still cheap and easy to drive cars until it's until it is less expensive and more convenient. I don't know if you're going to get people out of their cars, Sam. I, yeah, I don't think it's about <coughs> politics. I think it's more about lifestyle and economics. And I think right now people feel that they're better off in their vehicle spending, you know, the, whatever they're spending on gas and having that time uh, because it's so much quicker to do it by car than it would be by rail. There seems to be, it's, maybe it's me, but there seems to be almost like an anti-rail sentiment out there. I, I, I would characterize it as pro-car. Not anti-rail, but pro-car. I mean, I was in Cincinnati this weekend. I drove back. And man, these SUVs. I got a little car. I got a Honda. <laughs> I, these big, massive SUVs that are just... And one person's in it. And, uh, you know, Americans have that right, but you're sucking up half the gas. My so car. We, are we going to kill the car if we put a train between Cincinnati and Cleveland? No. no, <laughs> no I guess no. No, but so why the... I mean, I know this, it's a subsidy, but we subsidize airports. We subsidize highways with gas taxes. Yes, we, we subsidize other transportation. Why is there... Why is trains seem to get more... Uh, angst or more because I don't think people really understand the relationship to it and I also believe what, what you said a little earlier this 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 individualism that makes us up America now when the when the uh, Indians in the country of India and the Chinese start driving cars at the proportion to that population in the world the price of gas is going up now nothing's gonna stop that unless there's a miracle why can't we anticipate that and provide systems alternatives to cars. Well, here's the problem, though. I go down to Cincinnati. I'd like to ride the train. I rode the train in other cities I lived in. I go to Cincinnati. I get there. I take a taxi for $20 or $30. I can't go to a Reds game and come back the same night. I have to stay in a hotel. Our system is not set up for this kind of transportation. It's not like the East Coast, where if you lived in Washington before they had baseball, you could take the train up to see the Orioles and come back the same night to Baltimore. Yankees you can't do that in Ohio yet. Could they adjust the schedule? I mean, They'd they have to run more trains. They'd barely have enough money to run the trains that, that we're going to start with. But one of the things we might see, for example, is, is a lifestyle change, a lifestyle right. choice. And we might see people who say, you know what, I want to go up to the Indians game this weekend, and I want it to be a party atmosphere. We don't know on these trains what they're going to offer, um, what kind of experience it's going to be. For example, if it becomes a party train, shall we say, you know, that's going to attract a certain amount of people. And there could be, you could have hotels working right. in deals. It could be a right. mini vacation package and attract some interest. All it, I know is it's been on the ballot three times, and it's lost three times, and it's lost very heavily three times. I think it's clear the people of Ohio don't want yeah, trains. you know what they said about that, though? We could put casinos on the trains, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> that kept losing on the ballot. Yeah, it kept losing on the ballot. And you're dealing with trains. the logic of the, of the electorate. I don't always think that is the most forward-thinking group of people. I don't want to get... Uh, in America, oh. <laughs> I, I'm not running I've for office. I've always been a believer in listening to the people. Let's get to those forward-thinking people in our weekly campaign 2010 roundup. Mary Jo Kilroy officially launched her re-election bid this week and said she would support aggressive action to pass health care reform. Pat Tiberi faces criticism for requesting stimulus dollars he opposed. And a new poll shows Ohio's shrinking Democrats. First to that Democrat's slight decline. Gallup found that people identifying themselves as Democrats has fallen slightly. This shows the lead, so to speak, that uh, 
self-identified Democrats have over Republicans. Nationally, Democrats have an advantage, but has shrunk from 12% down to 8% over the past year. In Ohio, that advantage has shrunk from 18% all the way down to 10%. Bob Clegg, but Democrats still have a 10-point advantage over those who identify themselves as, as Democrats over Republicans. Sure. Anything to worry about from your side? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's adults, so it's not registered voters or even likely voters uh, for this year. Um, and Democrats have always had that kind of an advantage, and we've always won elections even though they've had that. So um, it was interesting to see that Ohio was the number two state in the amount of drop that the Democrats had. Yeah, first state, D.C. was first, but they were the first D.C. was first, and that's state, because, actually, you know, yeah. you probably were at 99% and went yeah. to 90%. So so Ohio was really, yeah, the, the, the largest drop in any of the states, and I thought that was interesting. But I think it's, you know, pretty much the way you're seeing the whole uh, political environment that's turning out for this year, and especially here in Ohio, it's just not going to be a good year for Democrats. The Democrats have anywhere to go but down after 2008? Well, I, I, I think it was a transformative year, and there was a lot of historical stuff. We had a woman, we had an African-American. I don't know if you can, if you can emulate that again, uh, unless you do it every four years. Um, but I don't see it as a Democratic or Republican issue. I see it as an anti-incumbency. Whoever is the incumbent, people are angry. And they are primarily angry because of the economy and a lack of jobs. You know, if, if you look out, Everybody's been bailed out. Wall Street's been bailed out. Everybody's been bailed out. And Joe Blow on the corner says, hey, what about me, man? How about a little job for me to take care of my family? And I think sometimes the, the statistics are deceiving. There are millions of people without work, man, in this country. And I, I, I don't know how politicians gloss over that. Well, they, they're finding out they can't. <laughs> Timing's everything, and I think Sam's right. It's the incumbents who are, people are taking out their wrath against, and more of them right now are Democrats. The governor has very little to do with the macro, the big economy, but Governor Strickland's bearing the brunt of that. I think that's one of the reasons his approval ratings are down. Um, solidly Democratic, according to Gallup, Ohio is. Is that good news for Democratic candidates? Or again, this is too early? Or I don't believe that. Yeah. I don't believe that. I, I think either. Ohio yeah. is, I've always said I think Ohio is a purple state. It's a mixture <laughs> of, of red and blue, and it can go e either way at any time. And I, I think sometimes we've seen the Gallup polls say one thing, and then when it comes election time, it doesn't bear any truth yeah, whatsoever. This is a daily tracking poll, so right. it's got to change. I yeah. also noticed in that same uh, survey, they showed Nebraska as a Democrat state, too, which, of course, it isn't. And, you know, it's just, once again, you're looking at everybody yeah. 18 and older, yeah. you know, whether they vote or not, you know. I hope the Democrats don't believe this, and they don't run their next race like they have a solidly Democratic state. They better run their next race like they're scared. But when it comes to the governor's race, I think there's a variable here for Democrats versus Republican. Uh, John Kasich hasn't said that much yet. Um... Uh, uh, Ted's been around for a while. He's the major incumbent. I think it's a little early for him, him to worry. I also think uh, later discussion is a little early for Cadre, too, to worry. I think if those numbers are like that in June, I'd worry. But right now, I wouldn't. One candidate who's not running scared, I don't think that's fair, but certainly not taking anything for granted is Mary Jo Kilroy. She officially filed this week. She's barely lost and barely won, faces Steve Stivers again bound to be a close race just from the demos of the, of the district. She said that she's still much in favor of cap and trade and still much in favor of health care. She's not backing down from those stances. 
Good for her. And I hope she stays with both of those stances because I think both of them are big losers in that district. And, you know, you got to look at the fact that it was a big Democrat year in 2008, and she barely won. And the dynamics of that year will be nowhere near like that this year. Um, and I think she's, you know, you got to hand it to her. She's sticking by her principles. Mm -hmm. And um, that's great for her, but it's not going to mean she's going to win re-election. But, but she's if she changed, she'd be accused of being yeah. a flip-flopper, right. too, sure. which yeah. wouldn't, uh, mm -hmm. Bob would just either. love that. No. As, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, when, you're, when you're in office, you have to, you know. I, I think uh, the travesty in, in this race is that you have two excellent candidates. Steve Stivers is a good candidate. Steve Stivers is more of a moderate than radical right or, or Republican. I also think it's a factor of how the district has been designed. She won in a tsunami year by the hair of a chinny-chin-chin, but that has to do with how the district is designed. It's not really a fair district for a moderate Democrat. It, it is a more swing to the right, middle right uh, district, and a middle right Democrat would be competitive in that district too, not uh, just a middle right Republican. The one thing that Mary, Kil Mary Jo Kilroy has now that she didn't have before is two years of being an incumbent and taking care of constituents and doing constituent services and grasping all the advantages that come with incumbency. How much is that going to help her? The little things. It may have made her some friends, but it also ties her to the people with whom she's been in office, including President Obama. Right now, that's not a great thing. By November, it might be a better thing. But she has built up a record, and maybe people will say, well, Mary Jo, help me do this or help me do that. What do you mm -hmm. Pat T. Berry opposed the stimulus plan, the Washington Times this week, scathing article, found letters that he and others uh, wrote saying, I want some of the stimulus money. T. Berry's advocated for money for broadband for his district. How does this, that play? This is usual. This is common. This happens all the time. I mean, we see politicians continually say, well, we don't want that money. We, we don't think we ought to go in debt as a nation and get that money. But then when push comes to shove, they want to be right there to eat the pie. That's the way the system operates, like it or not. And you're not, I don't think we're ever going to see a politician who says, you know, we don't want that money, especially in the, you know, and, and really stick to it, especially given that Ohio is facing deficits that we don't even know it could be six seven billion dollars we don't know what we're facing but in that climate we're not going to have a politician say oh no feds keep that money have we seen it this loud though i mean the republicans really were loud saying this is a boondoggle this is going to create jobs this is wasteful government spending over and over yeah, and over again and then to say okay i'd like some of that yeah but look at all the governors of the states who did all that and then they took the money uh I, I think everybody's having a difficult time economically, and I don't think your, your, your constituency is going to be happy if there's an opportunity to take some money into the community and put some jobs and some money in that community, and you turn it away. Principle uh, on the contrary. Um, uh, and, and what was said earlier, we, politicians say things in public and do another thing in private. Now, he happened to just get caught at this one. Does it take this issue away from him, though, criticism of the stimulus plan? No. You know what? If it was, if you want to compare apples to apples, if, you know, he voted against it, he said it was too much money. Now, if, if, if he would have said, if they would have said, the federal government would have said, okay, we won't spend this money unless you want it for, for your broadband, then and if he said, well, I want the money anyways, then he would be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that money was going to be spent somewhere. 
he couldn't stop that money. He tried to stop that money from being spent because it was way too much money. So the point of the matter, like Bill said earlier, you're caught. Yep. If you don't try to get the money, then you're criticized for not doing enough to try to you know create jobs and do things for your district. So what are you you know what are you going to do as an office holder? He's pretty popular. I think that uh, it is fair to say that he didn't want to broadcast this from the rooftop that he took that he advocated for this money. So it's a little ding, but I don't think it's going to damage him in the election. He's I don't right. think in his district is yeah. going to make a difference. He's right. Okay, let's get to our next topic. Worthington may say me too. The Worthington City Council this week moved to ask voters to raise the city's income tax to 2.5%. Now, just coincidentally, that's the same income tax rate that Columbus voters approved last summer. Worthington voters will decide on the increase in May. Sam Gresham, will other cities, coincidentally, decide to raise theirs to 2.5%? I think curd deficits create courage. <laughs> and as we see more deficits around the state and the city and communities, you'll find uh, elected leaders have more courage. Now, the great mayor of um, Columbus stepped out there all by himself and took a chance, and his constituency followed him um, to uh, the bat. I don't think cutting is very popular either. So if, 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 you, if your thing is a tax versus a cut, I think people will take the tax rather than the cut um, because I think we're in very difficult times. If, if other cities do it, I think they have to do it like Mayor Coleman did in Columbus. He had a list of things. If you pass this income tax, we're going to do this. We're going to hire police. We're going to reopen recreation centers. It's a checklist. This is a part of government that is closest to the people, and it can be held accountable. So there's a danger there, but if you're accountable, I think you probably could get away with it. Basically, 40% of the residents of Worthington are already paying this tax. Those are the folks who live in Worthington but work in Columbus, and they saw their income taxes going up. So they, I mean, and they're not getting, well, yeah, you get the eight hours of Columbus City services they get while they work here, but they're not getting the other, you know. Can I hours. add to what, what you said? It's not simply the courage to do it, but how you do it. I think that's one of the most important. What the mayor did and his team that was brilliant was to get the firefighters and the police out in front, yeah. to get them out in front, and that's a group that uh, center right won't oppose. And the moderates and the liberals were supporting this thing from the beginning. So I think it's a factor of how you do it, not only the factor of doing the tax. The math says, here's my math, Worthington, this will raise, this tax would raise an extra $10.5 million a year. And that will erase a $1.7 million deficit. That $10.5 million is over the next three years. Okay, It'll erase over the next three years a $1.5 million deficit. It's ten million and one and a half million. That's a that's this is money I left over there. Now <laughs> they say that they have put off buying things and put off hires and things like that. And this is the problem I have with all of this raising of taxes, especially during you know recessions where a lot of people are unemployed. You know, at what point is this all going to stop? And I don't like the way things are done by cities where they more or less threaten you. Now, others may say, oh, those are the city priorities. I always call it threats. If this doesn't pass, then your safety may be somehow impaired. We have less fire, less police. I mean, that, you know, that kind of stuff you know, doesn't work.
Right, right. And, you know, we see this with school districts all the time. Every time a school district wants to pass a levy, they threaten to, to take away the football. They threaten to take away, you know, every extracurricular activity known to mankind. In Southwest, they did. And, and in Southwest, they did. Well, you have to. I mean, yeah. you have to follow through with the threat if it fails. But we do see that that's effective. That is often very effective. And so that's the reason cities use it. It isn't probably the best way to cut taxes. I think that if anyone could probably go into a budget, they could find other places to cut. But you want to pick the things that people really care about that touch their lives, and those are the things they see. Any chance a city says, we're not going to raise it? I know Bexley has made some noise. I mean, at least I think it was the auditor and Bexley said, no, we're going we're gonna to sell our lower income tax rate to small law firms, small professional firms. I think it's, it's the character and, uh, of the community that dictates that. Bexley is a, is a bedroom community, it's a character, and most people go to Bexley if they want to, it's for the schools and the quality of life that, that's in that community. But for other types of, uh, of cities, uh, i.e. Uh, Worthington, the Grove City, the, the mix may be different. Um, I, I think after a while, if things continue to be economically as bad as they are now, people are not gonna mind taxes because there are two other things that I believe are occurring. They don't trust the private sector anymore because most of those jobs they lost. Let's get Bob's take on it. Well, if can I finish taxes. my statement? Right. They don't trust the private sector because most of those jobs that they lost could have been projected a long time ago and the automations that the private sector has gone to to eliminate these jobs and I believe ultimately 25% of the labor force that's out there now is permanently unemployable. And I think that's going to change the whole view of the private sector. Well, I tell you what, uh, if there's anything that's trusted less than private sector, it's government. And people have determined that government cannot do the job of getting this economy back on track, which is the big problem. What's happening with the stimulus bill that was passed is all the jobs that are being created are government jobs. And then they're government jobs that down the road, we got to then subsidize because we can't lose jobs. You know, their jobs, teachers, Police, fire, they're always too important. We can't lose them, so we're going to have to raise taxes to keep them. Let's get to our final topic. A free speech controversy came and went this week at the State House. At first, House Speaker, Democrat Armin Budish, refused to let 19-year-old Elizabeth Trisler be recognized for her award-winning essay. The problem was the award was given by the anti-abortion group Right to Life, and Budish said he did not want to use this feel-good ceremony to highlight a controversial issue. Conservatives protested, the ACLU protested, Bill O'Reilly protested, <laughs> Budish relented and agreed to honor the young woman. Joe Ingalls, how big a deal was this? Uh, it wasn't a very big deal, really, but a lot of uh, hay was made over it, let's face it. Um, you know, it, typically, if you look at what has been done on the floor of the House or the Senate, uh, the resolutions have been because someone's basketball team won a championship or because, you know, some group did something valuable somewhere. Um, we haven't had people have the floor to make statements, and I think the big fear is once you start getting controversial issues involved and people who are involved with those issues making statements on the floor, um, and, and it's yet to be seen as to whether she'll be able to do that. But that's something that they want to kind of stay away from, and they didn't really have a policy in place when Speaker Budish said, we're not doing it, and that's part of the problem. That's what we're hearing about now, because there wasn't a policy. Ordinarily, Bill, do the recipients make a statement during this, or they just say thank you and move on? Usually they just 
say something and go on, but this was a sucker punch to the speaker, and he took it right in the chin. I mean, uh, they telegraphed this, and I, and I think he's going to be characterized as narrow-minded. That's the ACLU. And this is a Jewish speaker who sits up there every day and listens to Christian prayers, and he doesn't say anything about that. And that brings another, uh, up another subject, whether they should pray in the House. And if you tried to take that away, the very people who are uh, after Butish now would be after him for that. Would this, how different would this be, both from the Democrat side and from the Republican Senate side, if somebody wanted to get up and was being honored for a speech on or essay on gay marriage, in support of gay marriage, or pro-choice legislation? No different. Yeah. No different. Same yeah. symbolism, yes. Yeah. And but the last time a speaker tried to uh, curb someone was Speaker Husted, who was a Republican, and uh, it was a prayer, and the minister, it was a great prayer, but it was basically an effort at evangelism on the House floor, and the speaker tried to change the rules for, I think that's right, mm -hmm. for giving prayers, and he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be yeah. the prayer police. <laughs> so it's a volatile issue. Okay, let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Bill Hershey, you're up first. Well, if Will Rogers, the old humorist, were alive and living in Ohio, he'd have to switch parties. Rogers famously declared, I am not a member of an organized political party. I am a Democrat. With the Tea Party movement boiling and four statewide primaries looming in May, it's Ohio Republicans who need to work at getting on the same page. Okay, Joe. Mine's kind of related, actually. We hear a lot about the Tea Party and all of the friction in the Republican Party, but if you look at the Democratic Party, they really have some problems of their own. They have the conservative uh, blue dog, pro-life, pro-anti-abortion Democrats who are in there uh, causing some of the same conditions in their party that the Tea Party is doing for the Republicans. So that's what we need to watch. Bob. I think that the... Uh, new rail line of the three C's could be stopped in its tracks. You think it could happen? Yep. Okay, Sam. We will have football. <laughs> there will be no NFL strike. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> where, the Buckeyes going somewhere? <laughs> no, we're going to work this bargaining agreement out this summer, and we'll have football in the fall. All right. And don't get me wrong, I love card talk, and wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR and WSU, but I'm going to miss Bob Connors on Saturday morning on WTVN. Just a sample of his show and the people who call him was terrific, but that guy deserves a Saturday morning off. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can check out our website. There you can get a preview of the topics we're going to discuss, streaming video in case you miss an episode, a link to our Facebook page where you, become, where you can become a fan, and also check out our blog. This week we talk about the demolition of City Center. That's all at our website, wosu.org slash COTR. For our crew at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.